who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And rage on. Beyond, and hello and welcome to Podcast Beyond, episode 777. It's a good lucky number. I'm your host, Max Scoville, and I'm joined by Josh Dew. Hi. Jada Griffin. Hello. And game director for God of War Ragnarok, Eric Williams from Sony Santa Monica. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks for coming. Now, um, full disclosure, we're going to spoil this game. So I, everyone should have played it. We've all played it. Eric, have you played it? A couple times. Okay, good. That's that's important. Um, so yeah, you've you've been warned. If you haven't played God of War Ragnarok, like don't and you don't you don't want to know what happens, then go go elsewhere. Just run run away. Go on. All right, you ready? You good? Okay. So wait, this is for Ragnarok. I haven't played that one. Oh, oh no. you should. It's good. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> IGN gave it a ten. It's a good time. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just a good kicker question. Uh, Thor's hammer seemed like a pretty solid, cool thing to align with Ragnarok. You know, Kratos has kind of a track record of stealing god weapons and then using them himself, and he never uses it. Why? I mean, he holds on to it once. Yeah, that's true. He's got you there. But you don't get to use it. You don't yeah. get to, like, run around and hit stuff with it. He's got the axe. Was that the, was that the reasoning? Like, yeah, I mean, just... the axe was made to be the counter to it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like the good and evil weapon. So he wields the weapon for just. Or okay. wields the weapon for, you know tearing down giants and things like that so we didn't we didn't think fitting that into kratos would work very well you know it's like the i'll also be completely honest i'll tell you what i told the team like and people will be upset about this and they can blame me so if you see me on the street we can get into it but uh it to me it was too easy it was expected Mm. it's what people you know they could understand it they could think about it it wasn't going to surprise but the weapon that was going to surprise was the weapon that we gave them you know, the way the story is told on how he gets it, who he is. Um, if you think about his weapons, like they've been bestowed upon him, the, his core weapons, like the blades, you know, you get, they're, they're pulled out of 
you know, a river of lava and dropped into his hands, like the axe is bestowed to him by his wife. So when that spear is made, it's for him. Hmm. It has his blood in it. You know what I mean? They prick it and it's his whole history. If you if you watch that scene specifically, the the blood comes out as the Omega first, which is the that old version of him. Hmm. But the thing that really cements it is the the symbol of Sparta. You know, that he is that just general that's gonna take care of business. So we were put a lot of thought into that and you know, I challenged the team too. I said, hey, we want to make the best stick ever. You know, that all spears will be judged against. And I, I'll, I'll be honest, I think I'd put ours up against any I've seen in a video game. Uh, the the drop near spear was by far, once I got that, I had a hard time swapping off of it. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's so fast, it's fluid. There's so many different utilities that you can use it for in combat. Um, it's just great. And that moment was so just amazing. Like I literally wept like openly wept at that moment because it was just so powerful Kratos opening up to to somebody else other than Atreus or or Faye and was just very powerful like what was that um what was that like kind of like giving Kratos that moment to open up to somebody else how did that kind of come about I think it's just been a culmination of his journey from 2018 to now you know he's, he's been this guy who's had to push everything down he doesn't really have anyone around him you know, and the fate kind of started to bring that out of him. And then Atreus really cracked the shell at the end of 2018. You know, Kratos lets the he lets the bandages go. An amazing moment, and he talks to him and he tells him the story of his namesake um, and why he wanted to name him that. And you start to see that Kratos thinks about these things. He's not just this one-dimensional character. And for me, he's always been that way. Even go back. I mean, before God of War One, he's a husband. Yep. You know, he's a father. He's a general. He leads people. His his city-state respects him. Um, so. We wanted to have these pairings in this game where, you know, Mimir and Brock became like his kind of like confidence, like his buddies, and then Sindri, and then the kids become Atreus's crew, and you get these different po points of view, and when you start to look at them, you go, oh, okay, that makes sense that they gravitate towards each other. So Brock being pretty gruff, and, you know, and to have them almost both open up, that's what the, the moment is even more beautiful. Yeah. Brock is all upset, and Kratos is the one that calms him down. And you don't really see Kratos do that. You, know, no. you want to see usually people trying to do the opposite or he has to temper himself. So I, I think it was just one of those moments in the writer's room where you're sitting there and you're thinking about it. You're like, okay, we got to make this weapon. And how are we going to do that? And that was one of the very few scenes that I did any writing on. You know, I trust the writers, but there was the way that thing was crafted, all the elements, seeing the visuals, the blood, all those pieces I, I really wanted. So that was... I wrote structurally, I didn't write a lot of the lines, but uh, structurally how that scene was going to go. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a special one. I'm glad it landed for you. Yeah, very much so. <clears throat> yeah, more on the, the spear. Like the way you talked about it, it sounded like you, it was always the plan to make it a spear. Is that the case? Or were there other types of weapons ever considered? Yeah, I mean, when we started early on in the, like the, I would say the fall of 2018, and people were pitching everything. Obviously, Mjolnir was on the table, um, yeah. but I really wanted to go back and show who he really was. And if he was going to lead these people to this war, I wanted to see that guy, you know, the, the, the guy we never really get to see. And we saw a little bit of it in Ghost of Sparta, but not a lot of people played that because the, the Spartans bring him his weapons. They bring him the arms of Sparta with a spear and a shield, and you get to see that general a little bit. But we wanted to see that in the Norse, you know, uh, yeah. mythology. Because it's just so separate, too. It's not, it's nothing like what you would see. The axe is still part of that. It's cold. You know, we kind of have these little phrases for the weapons internally for how we bake all the ideas in. And, you know, the axe, I think, I might get this one wrong because this is the one I always use, but it was like this frozen lumberjack, you know. And then the blades have always been this, been this like ballet of fire. 
And so for the spear coming up with that, um, here, I challenged him. I was like, Hey, come up with the phrase that people mm. can get behind this. And he had this idea. He was like, it's just like beat the door down, you know? And that's what he wanted out of that spear. It wasn't just this pokey thing that thrust it. It was this thing. I'm just like, literally it would smash your face. And, you know, and, and he does that when you start hitting the R1 and he starts stabbing, but then he starts coming with the blunt side and yeah. it just, everything crushes. And then when you detonate it and you see all those rocks explode and, it just had this violence to it, but it was through this kind of very forceful Kratos imposing his will as a general with a thinking mindset, because you can't just go berserk with that weapon. You have to think about what you're doing it has precision. It has a tight area of hit. You know, there's so many things that are put into it from both the storytelling and the combat that we wanted to be folded in where you kind of can't tell the difference. Yeah. And that's, I think what the team is, is very good at. They, they blur the lines on everything. So it just feels like it feels right. Yeah, it felt really distinct. I remember the first time I grabbed it, I was like so used to playing with the blades, with the axe, and I grabbed the spear and I start swinging it around. I'm like, I don't know if I like this at first. I was like, this is, it's a different style. It's a different rhythm too. Uh, but after a while, I was like, man, this thing kind of slaps. And then especially when you're just like chucking at it from a distance, I'm like, that was, that was my favorite part. I was like, yeah. I mean, I've never like, I don't care about Kratos like, using a bow and arrow like that's not that's not badass but like chucking this <laughs> javelin like 30 meters away and then exploding it like man that was a great idea um and combining it as well with drop near which is like an mm -hmm. item from norse mythology was that also always in like always the plan or so we started with the spear yeah. and then i started to think about like well we, if we want to have infinite spears we have to come up with some way to do this we can't just like gamify it we want it to be part of the lore and we were talking about drop near and we were like, oh, well, it does duplicate. And then it was just one of those peanut butter chocolate moments in my head where I was like, hey, what about this? And they're like, are you serious? You think we could pull that off? And I'll, I'll go back. We even had a crazier thing because I had the wind element early on where when you would detonate, it, it would shatter into a bunch of rings and it would leave shrapnel on the ground. And then if you were able to like kind of use the wind, it would pick that up and you would get this kind of like shotgun pelting uh, effect. But it just became too much where it... it the player was just overwhelmed with too many things to worry about. Um, so we ended up pulling that idea back, but even then you had, there was like rings everywhere. Um, but, and this is so we, the hedgehog, you yeah. can't do that. <laughs> so right, so I led you right into it. Cause then that became the joke. Like, okay, what is that going to sound like? And then everybody's like, like that's, we got to get back into our realm and you know, we don't want him like uh, having that noise, but yeah, it was, and then the moment with Sindri to go down and get it, then it just, it brings, made sure both of the blacksmiths, we knew Brock was going to be the one to go, but we needed to make sure they were both part of crafting the, the mm. thing. So then seeing him go down there and the little Scrooge McDuck money, oh, and, you know, get the ring. <laughs> that was a really cool moment. Right? I had like, I mean, I had no idea what the plan was. They're like, okay, we got something for this weapon and he descends down this well and just lands, yeah, in the Scrooge McDuck pool of <laughs> golden rings. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like they're, they're loaded. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, they've got so oh, much money. Set. Like, why are they still blacksmithing? They could retire. <laughs> why are they asking me for my hack silver? <laughs> Parts and labor, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Dwarves. Um, yeah. Now, clearly, like the team really has this kind of like almost like po poetic approach, like frozen lumberjack, like ballet of fire. Um, I guess I'm curious, what was the kind of core philosophy with Ragnarok compared to 2018? Like, was there like a sort of just a like a, I don't know, motivational phrase or like a really just a, a it's, it's like a very focused, vague question here. Um, I'll go with the super high level one. Um, I, I've always had this kind of theory. It's, you know, this is a math formula that doesn't work, but it makes sense metaphorically to what you're trying to do. And it got the team to kind of buy into this, this idea of all eights make a 10. 
if everything in your game is at an eight or above, then it will always rise. And if you have anything that's lower than that, it pulls down and then people like yourselves can pick it, can pick it apart. Shots fired. Uh, uh, but it'll, it, you can, you can tear it down. So what we would say, you know, is like, okay, cool. Like this, this is getting really, really good. Uh, animator, you could take that to a 10, but over here, this, this animation, maybe we didn't get the, the cloth right or whatever. Maybe we could hop on that and get that, pull that up from like a six to a, to an eight. And then, if you have everything like again sitting at that level it's just like man everything is so good this is really good and it it does its opposite effect it it pushes up and it's just one of those ideas that if you know glass half empty glass half full so if you have more things that are full then people are more apt to be like this is really positive and this is creative and amazing so there's a there's a George Carlin line about never having slept with a 10 and there's more to it after that it's a similar similar philosophy but uh I like the approach there. It well, also, it's I just, love me some George Carlin. Yeah. So there, might, there might be something in there. <laughs> um, can we talk about Heimdall? Sure. He's a he's a dick. Oh, I hated him. My yeah. favorite fight of the game, yeah. by far. Scott Porter absolutely crushed that character. Yeah. He was so worried because we didn't want to let the character loose into the wild. And he kept saying, man, why can't we talk about him? I was like, because we wanted to be a surprise. He's so good. Because we see the playtest feedback and everything you guys are saying echoed across like 20 playtests. And I'd send him the little quips. <laughs> and he's like, but do they like him? <laughs> and I'm like, no, but that's a good thing, you know. So, but Scott was amazing. But that that fight is a hard fight. Like, how do you make a fight where you can't hit a guy? Um, and these are the kind of challenges we like to take on. And uh, Adam Oliver, the, the main combat designer on that, you know, he was new to the studio, never built a boss fight before. So it was a big challenge for him. And he struggled for a bit, but he stayed after it. And, you know, I think it's it's one of those you won't forget that fight. No. <laughs> As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Do you know how much you have in common with some of your favorite celebrities, leaders, newsmakers, 
I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin, where you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll find out who they really are and what they represent. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so you're probably all aware of the Callisto Protocol. It's a survival horror game coming to PlayStation, Xbox, and PC platforms on December 2nd. And if you want to delve into this terrifying universe a little bit early, you should check out Helix Station. It's a Callisto Protocol narrative companion podcast that stars Gwendolyn Christie and Michael Ironside. IGN is publishing and distributing Helix Station in partnership with Striking Distance Studios. In episode three of the show, our heroes Percy and Kane crossed paths with the daughter of the prisoner who they were tracking and stumbled upon a strange alien creature in suspended animation, frozen in a block of ice, which, as luck would have it, is starting to melt. What could possibly go wrong? Here's a clip from episode four. Let's check it out. Don't be stupid. Prendergast, get off me! There's nothing you can do for him. Percy! Don't look. Come on. We gotta go. I can't leave him. We gotta go, Percy. He's dead. Where's the girl? Percy! In the vent. Come on. Get inside. Move your ass! Juniper, are you down there? Yeah, I'm here! We gotta move, kid, come on! There's a problem! No there's a problem! Juniper, go! Okay! Went to shaky as I tried telling you we can't keep going! all wobbly. We're too heavy. We're going to take our chances. Move! sample of episode four of Helix Station, a Callisto Protocol companion podcast that's coming out leading up to the release of the game on December 2nd. The first four episodes are out now and new ones are coming out every Thursday and you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to beyond. I guess I'm curious, like when you're borrowing from Norse mythology, there's a certain amount you can pull from, but uh, is, is Heimdall like canonically uh, uh, that much, that obnoxious or was that like a creative decision? <laughs> that was a creative decision. Okay. And there's, a, there's not a lot about any of these characters because it's been pushed through the ringer so many different times. People translate it and then you have the Christian come in and the, the paganism kind of gets lost in that. And so it's just, you kind of, we pick and choose what we want also for the game. Um, put the God of War paint on it. Um, the one thing that I did take is I read this one time somewhere as he had gold teeth and i was like oh that's even makes him more obnoxious so we'll give him gold teeth you know and um yeah we just wanted him to be the what do we say uh we wanted him to have the most punchable face yeah he uh, definitely had a yeah. punchable face yeah. and i enjoyed punching it yeah and so that and that build up to where you where you clip him yes clips him and and if you didn't notice like the, he clips him with the right hand and he cuts him just right and he hits him with the ring clips him with the ring on his mm -hmm. hand oh. yeah. so he yep. still gets him with drop near even when He's in that moment. So just those little touches for us that are like special. <clears throat> yeah, it, I like there wasn't a character like that for me in 2018. And like, I think you could have like 
characterize Heimdall in a way that's just like I am like based on my Googling, like his whole thing is I'm a very loyal servant of Odin. I'm dedicated. I'm just a good, like dedicated guy. And he's a, I think uh, he's closest to like the God of the humans, right? Mm -hmm. He kind of helped create their class system and whatnot. So why did you decide him to make him such a dick? <laughs> like, so you're, it's awesome because you're dancing right on the line of why we did that. So we try to look at all these gods with, they have these abilities, but they're not always good. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't mean that in a sense of their, their nature, the ability is not always a good thing. Um, so like Balder, if we go back and look at that, we'll use that as like the starting point. He, he can't feel anything. Imagine what that would do to you as a person. If you can't feel anything at all, it's going to drive you crazy at some point. Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to be a little messed up. So we were like, well, if you could always see what people's intentions are, what would that do to you? And he's just like, he can't be around people. It's like, everybody's gross. They always want something. Or there's a, mm -hmm. a reason behind it. So he's just kind of shut off. But that's not really, I mean, he's still just a dick at his core. But, um, you know, it's that part piled on top of it. That, and that's why he, when he's looking at the kid for the first time, he's like, he just, and he starts saying wild stuff. Like, I see cities burn because of you. You know, it's like, he's not making that up. It's like, he really sees this in him. And so we were like, okay, if you take that, then there's almost a reasoning behind it. It doesn't excuse it, but you could almost go, well, if I could, yeah, I wouldn't want to be around people either because people are kind of, kind of suck sometimes, you know, not always, but they do. And so we wanted to give them these kind of like uh, dualities to their abilities that also kind of make them, you know, their personalities. The way yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Like having the abilities kind of be the inspiration for the personality. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's really cool. And I want to ask as well as the decision to have Kratos kill him. I think as a player, when you meet Heimdall and you keep hanging around him you're like i really want to kill this guy um and when that moment finally comes as a player you're like oh this is awesome like that felt really good but when you're following kratos in the story he's consistently like i don't want to do this like i don't want to kill people yeah and he's kind of driven to this point where he's like okay i like in a rage like i have to kill him uh can you talk a little bit more about that decision sure. the whole thing about them even meeting up um, you know, because Kratos has tried to avoid it. Like he even says, like, I'm not going to, we're not doing that anymore. You know, the whole plan yeah. was like, let's go get Heimdall. And then he's like, nah, let's not do that. And then yeah. he still shows up. And it, that's almost like a dumb luck moment. Mm -hmm. where, you know, you're like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm trying not to do this. Mm -hmm. And here he is. So, <laughs> you know, and then Kratos tries to give him the out. And then Heimdall being the prideful dude he is, you know, he was like, you know, once you start running your mouth about Kratos' kid, like, it's gonna, a wrap. It's not going to end well. Yeah, it's not going to end well. So, you know, that arm comes off and then he comes back and it was very specific the way, like I, I remember describing it to the animator. I was like, this has to be the most dirty, messy thing that it has to be in the game because we want to see the old guy come out. You know, I mean, we have to make everybody almost be like, oh no, like, is this the snap snap? Or was this like a momentary thing? And that's why I wanted Mimir off the hip and staring at it and yelling at him the whole time, like where it's just like, Mimir's watching this happen, you know, and the whole choking him out, the arm fading, and him saying monster, you know, because it's that that's the thing that digs deep to Kratos. Yeah. And, and, and right there, he has to hold that, that he did it. And it was, it, there's a beautiful little touch when he rolls the body over to get the horn. And um, he goes to get it and he misses. And then he goes in with even more force and snatches it, you know, because he's got so much adrenaline. And I remember, uh, 
we called cut on that take and Chris was like, I'll do it again. I'll get the, the horn clean. I was like, absolutely not. Wow. Cause Chris was mad that he missed it. Mm-hmm. So it was real like upset. Chris grabbing that horn on the second <laughs> one. So it was even better. You know what I mean? So he was like, all right, cool. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> That's and so and we watched the playback and he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I see it. You know, but it's those magic yeah. moments that happen because he was already in that mindset, but then when he knew, you know, cause he's also, trying to hit everything to make sure the camera's where it is and then we missed it anyway he goes you watch it again you'll see it he goes back in with some force that's that's some of my favorite stuff in this is just the sort of the, the human element is like front and center despite everyone being yeah. you know some sort of deity are there any other like tidbits like that, that that come to mind of like sort of just organic things that came out during performance capture um there's always some the actors always we always try to make be a collaboration with the actors like we wrote the words but like if you're feeling this or you're doing that like certain things and chris is so good with kratos there's a moment after they come back uh, after saving freyer and he gives him the boat and um uh freyer kind of goes like this as he moves away because he's the the drugs are kicking in that they gave him for his wound and he's like you know make a vineyard god proud and he pumps his fist like that but the first few takes he kept kind of like doing this to Chris and Chris came to me and was like, if he does that one more time, I'm going to grab him. He's like, because Kratos would break that guy's arm. If he touched <laughs> and uh, so we went over to Brett and we were like, Hey, Hey, like do something different. Cause he wouldn't touch Kratos like that. And he was like, all right, cool. You know, but it was just like them, they figured that out together, how they were going to do that. Um, and there's a couple other little moments like that, but it's just there. Everybody's into it. It's, there's no like, star if you will it's like it's a team effort to get these scenes because in one shot camera if anybody misses start over so it's it's even the camera person has to be on like you know even somebody being like giving you the cue like we're getting really inside the how it's done now but like they don't carry the weapons on them there's a there's a stage hand walking behind them with the axe on their back and then when they go to grab it they let go and if that gets dropped or whatever, then you got to start over again. You know what I mean? It's it's all these little moments. It's just a ballet. And if you see it, you'd be like, whoa, this is this is wild. How this and, and then you get all that emotion at the same time when they're trying to hit all these little pieces and these micro bits. And, you know, the, another really one one that I love personally is when the kids um, birth the, the Jormungandr, when they put the soul in it. Mm. And I was looking at it one day and I had, I was like, because in the mythology is that they, they're the parents of these these giant monsters and it's like very we can't be doing it the way it was done in there it's very awkward yeah <laughs> so we had to like really find interesting ways around this so i was looking at it how we had it and i was like oh okay when you guys go to put your hands up there put your hands like this you know you, you, and it's it's like a little heart and then the soul goes right through the middle of that and it's like them coming together for that bonding moment to bring the Jormungandr into life and it's just little things and then they you know they forgot a couple times and you keep moving their hands and then they get it just right and then that ended up becoming the cover of the seven inch that comes with the collector's edition if you look at that that's their hands like that with anger boda and atreus running into the field whoa yeah that's awesome i'm really curious when did the team know that ragnarok was happening was it like, did you end 2018 knowing that there was going to be something afterwards or was this sort of, you left it hanging and picked up? Um, well, I mean, they wanted, most definitely wanted us to make a sequel. The game did okay. Right. So, uh, <laughs> but what it was going to be was still up in the air at that point. And then the first talk was like, okay, is it going to be two or three games? And then we kind of got to the point where we were like, I think we can do it in two. And then Corey was very adamant, like, Hey, I think two is the way to go. If we can touch this up. And then at that moment, he gave me like three things that had to be done. 
And I said, okay. You know, he's like, what are the three things? He's like, well, Ragnarok's going to happen. The kid's got to leave. And Brock's got to die. And I said, okay. And he goes, do you know why Brock needs to die? And I said, yeah, I remember we talked about this a long time ago. That he's the family dog. And so, the, like, that's why. And he said, yep. And then that was it, pretty much. Like, <laughs> And then the rest of the time was, like, me just checking in with him. Like, we're going to do this. How do you feel about it? And he's like, that's, that's good to go. So you bookended the entire game with the deaths of family dogs. <laughs> Pretty much. It's not really a fan favorite approach, but sure, yeah. go off. So, but I mean, it <laughs> works. It works. It definitely Family dogs works. Dying. It yeah, works metaphorically, yeah. but yes. it's the um, yeah. I mean, Corey just like we have that trust with each other. So he was like, "That's like the things that he had, and we just worked and the writers back and forth, and that takes a while, you know, to get all the little beats and how everything's going to come together." And um, but yeah, Ragnarok was. The thing but we didn't want it to be the focus like even though the game's called that i think that's where some people get a little like perhaps frustrated with pacing and whatnot they're like think it's just gonna be ragnarok from the start till the end and it's, it just comes in towards the end and it's because it's like nobody wants it to happen <laughs> that's it's just we're in this weird limbo period of thimble winter and as long as nobody blows the horn we're good and then it just there has to be a really good reason to blow the horn and then we give a good reason to blow the horn right <laughs> Because you can't lose the family dog. There it is. Yeah. Was obviously, you know, you're supposed to kill your darlings and all that. Was there ever um, a maybe more bloodthirsty point in the writer's room where other characters were going to kill, get killed off? Or was there, you know, ideas getting getting kicked around there? Uh, I mean, no, we weren't like going to do any kind of weird red wedding thing or anything like that. Uh, Like we like it. We love our characters, you know, like even, even the ones we killed, we, we felt, you know, like. It had to be done with a sense of purpose and good reason. It couldn't just be done like flippantly. Um, so I don't think so. We were pretty pretty set with the cast. I don't. You know, this game was it was wild because normally you do a lot of like trimming, and we didn't, we only trimmed a little bit out of this game. Like we had a really solid plan and just kind of stayed after it. And I thought the team was ready to do something in this scale, and I think they showed and proved that they could. This uh, actually brings up a really good question from our community. Uh, Jake Jackson asked, uh, how did you relate to the characters and their transformations? Such an intimate story. Is there a piece of you in it? I think there's a piece of all of us in it. Um, sure, there's there's little tidbits of stories I told to the writers and them telling me and people on the team, like having little anecdotes. Um, I don't want to go into those right now and out people and what, yeah. what was theirs. Or but yeah, 100%. But a lot of it does just come from you know listening to media um just things that kind of like build you up as a person you kind of want to have other people go i see you there's no no one person's going through one thing by themselves in the world like everybody's gone through something that's similar there's a way into it and that's what we're really really trying to drive towards with the two povs that you have this father who's struggling with these things that he can't can't teach a trace about being a giant i mean he didn't even know Faye was a giant until the end of 2018. He's got to hold that. That's what the game opens with him, like, reflecting on that bag. Like, why did she not tell me? And he's got to raise his kid. And he's got to keep him away from all this crazy stuff that's about to go down. And then the kid's like, I want to know about that. And you can't fault him for that. It'd be, it'd be like if someone was adopted and they wanted to find out who their birth parents are. You can't say, well, I raised, you know what I mean? Like, you got to let them figure that out. So we wanted to have those, those pieces be there where people could connect. And there was a lot of ways in for different you know, if you're just not into Kratos, there's still a way into that story for you. You can find something to latch onto. And uh, 
I think the one that a lot of people don't see coming is a Sindri transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's so keyed in the last game, germaphobe. And we, we play that card really well early where you're like, yep, he's that guy. He's almost like a, a caretaker because he shows up and he's, he's, it's almost like when you go to school and he's like, you forgot your lunchbox at the bus and then your mom comes running out, you know, because he's got that moment where he's like, and I got you these compasses and then I got you a little lamp. You know, and he's just always taking care of you. And he's like, and don't tell Brock and all this kind of stuff. And you just see that. And then when he gets clipped on the head and you see him all bandaged up, because when the kid turns into the barrier, you even feel more sorry for him. And you're like, oh man, like this poor injury. But then when you see him with the gloves off, you know, and then the blood splattered all over and you're like, oh no, what's going to happen here? And He's like, he was always kind of like the thesis behind him. He's like the giving tree, mm. you know, he's always giving and giving and giving and giving and giving until he's a stump. In that moment, when you see him at Brock's shop with Brock on the table, you're seeing a stump. Yeah. I, what I noticed about that, uh, that arc for Sindri is that, you know, he still doesn't forgive, uh, Atreus, uh, even to the very end of the game. Um, like i don't know was that even considered like was there ever going to be like maybe we should have them have a reckoning or like just make up but they never do i don't know man some people have fallouts and don't talk to their brother for 20 years or their best friend never again over some silly dumb shit so you know we we're like this is you're not just going to bounce back you know uh so We'll see what the future holds, but uh, right now they're they're not on good terms. God of remorse coming twenty twenty seven. Let's talk about the crater. There's like an entire sure. area that's just it's just kind of you know buried in there. That I'm shows. Curious to see what you guys thought of it. I love the crater. I got to the crater and I was like, I have so much like. There's so much to do here. It it gave me like Monster Hunter vibes where there's just like there's, there's dragons flying around everywhere. There's the, it changes based on day and night cycle. Like you can adjust the the map based on doing certain quests. Like the crater was one of probably one of my favorite areas from all of Ragnarok because there's just so much. You can go back and enemies response. So you can kind of like test like how does this combo work? How does this armor set work against these different type of enemies? And it's just. I loved it. Like the rag that the crater was just like, what was the inspiration for that? What like was like, we need to do this big open. There's a good story to that, but I want to hear what they thought of it. (laughs) So you're pointing at me. Yeah. I mainlined the game. Yeah. I I haven't seen it. It just says, ask about the crater. I I wrote this question. Yeah. I, when I first discovered it, I was like, I mean, I'm a completionist. So I was like, let me just do all the side quests. Sure. And I just, I'm like, okay, we're going to go get this guy. Let's go find him. And then it drops you. Like you climb that cliff. And you see this massive area, like the Savannah Plains, basically. And I'm just like, no, what? Like, there's no main quest here. Like, what am I supposed to do here? This massive area. And then the more I'm like running around, I'm like, oh, it's bigger. Oh, it's bigger. There's this other wing to it. And like, there's just more rivers and other things. And I'm just, I was blown away because this is an optional area. Like, you beat the game. And you didn't have to go there at all, but it's huge. And there's still story content as well. Yeah, That's what I was also content. like. So, yeah, great story content that, you know, gives you more uh, backstory on like what Faye was doing before she met Kratos and the way that unfolds is really cool. And it's just, yeah, I, I want to know more about okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> so the original inspiration for that was uh, after we shipped 2018, every time we finish a game, 
I give my wife carte blanche pick where we're going to go in the world because she's had to suffer with me not being home <laughs> game and stuff like that. So she was like, I want to go to Africa. So we went to Tanzania and Kenya and there's this place there called the Norngoro Crater. And it's this volcano that collapsed in on itself and it's this giant valley and all the animals minus the birds, they're born and die inside here because the walls are so high. They never leave. Only the birds come in and out for the most part. And we spent a whole day there driving around, seeing all the animals. And I watched like a gazelle be killed by a cheetah in the morning. And by the night when we were leaving, there was nothing but a skull left. You know, you <laughs> literally watch like a thing be on the planet and not be on the planet. But it was this ecosystem and you had predators and prey and all these things going on at once. And it was just incredible. And when you're looking at it, you know, if you're going to make like an open world game or whatever, you're looking for something that's kind of isolated, but also open. That's why it's always like an island, you know, or some kind of peninsula or, uh, you know, floating barge. You know, it's something that's like, it, there's enough to play, but it's like not like where you can go off forever. So I was looking for something we could do that'd be like that. And it just clicked in my head when we were leaving. And I saw it again. Like I saw the skyline and the clouds and all these things. And I was like, I came back to the team. I was like, hey, you know, what? we were going to toy around with making an open world space. Check this out. And they were like, Let's do that. And the uh, lead encounters guy, Andrew Krizafidis, and he's a level designer by trade. He That was his pet project. He was the encounters lead, but he was building a crater as his pet project on the side. Um, oh my gosh. And uh, with a bunch of other people, obviously it took a ton of people, but that was like his yeah. thing and he drove and all the people, the, the progression team, the quest, everything that went into that because it's all layered and you can play in different orders and there's, there's so much and you can do it with Atreus or Freya. Yeah. That's a wild thing if you go back and replay all the XBL spaces. XBL, sorry. That's our internal team exploration spaces. <laughs> um, uh, you can do that with Freya or Atreus and the dialogue's different. Yep. You know, and so it gives you that kind of, again, the POV is really interesting when you play these spaces. So, um, but that was you know something we wanted to take on it's like almost almost like an r&d project hmm. but that was so good that we shipped it <laughs> i mean if it you know if it if it turned out terribly it would be pretty easy to sort of excise it but yeah it's and that's, sort of yeah you know some of the i guess learnings of how to do this stuff where it's like it may not work out and if it does then it's okay we can scope it down um but it just kept going and the art team like really figuring out like what would work and then the day night thing clicked and it would just became this like okay we're gonna go there and we're just gonna go dragon hunts and all kinds of wild yeah. stuff inside there so well i'm yeah if you haven't seen it you're a bummer you miss out on there's tons well of i'm gonna go i'm gonna go back and play it i mean definitely definitely <laughs> sold it now um i'm just i'm fascinated because like that it shows like kind of a huge leap of faith knowing that like you can have this this massive chunk of the game and some players might just miss it. You know, some players might just skip it entirely. Yeah, actually, that's a great lead-in for me because um, kind of goes to our philosophy. Like, the more you put into a game, the more it'll give back to you. And we really, really believe in that. Every game that has blown me away since, you know, little eight-year-old me was playing games was that game. If you, if you put more into it, you got more out of it. And it shouldn't be demanded that you do that, though. If you just want to mainline it, there's an amazing story. You know, a very fitting into it. If you want to explore out, you're going to learn more. You're going to get to play more. You can experiment. You're, everything's going to open up. Your armor systems are going to open up. Your, you know, weapon components are going to open up. All these things. Just, and that's people that are going to go do that. That's what they want anyhow. It's, you know, if you want instant gratification, our game is probably not for you. Like, we make you earn a lot of things in the game. We want you to work for them. Not difficult. 
just work for them so you can see everything it takes to get somewhere. You know, I think there's a lot of instant gratification in the world right now and it makes things hollow. And we, you know, even like the, the petting of the wolves, mm-hmm. you yes. have to earn it. Like Kratos is not just going to go pet those wolves. <laughs> I was, I helped out a lot with our, uh, writing our wiki and our guides and stuff. And I, at one point it's like the things that, you know, we have a thing, things God of War Ragnarok doesn't tell you. And I was like, you can't pet the dog. And then I finished the game and got all the, and I was like, Hey, remove this. You can <laughs> pet the dog, but you have to earn it. Yes. And I was, I was like, this is such a amazing little detail that I loved. And I was just like, this made it all. I felt so much better about being able to pet the best boy in the world in all the realms. Yeah. Like it was it's, just. Yeah, like the both sets. Like if you go do all the the raider camps, then you can pet Specky and Svana mm-hmm. and, and calm them down. And then when you finish the game, if you go to Jotunheim to see Angerboda, then Fen's there and. You get to pick him or pet him, and it's just amazing. So, and that's another thing. Too. In the post game, I don't think anybody's found everything yet. I was going to ask about that. There's just a lot of hidden things in the post game. I mean, we see this this stuff happen where, like, you know, a year and a half after a game comes out, somebody's like, "Hey, I found a boss that no one knew about," or whatever. Is there is there anything buried that deep? Do you think? I, or? I'll be honest, I can't quite answer that 100 percent because I haven't looked and seen what everybody's found up to this point. Um, but there are things in there. A lot of them are just for us, like fun stuff that we just like and we wanted it to feel like the world's still there you, you can't end and him say you know there's much to do and then it's just like the game's over and then that world stops so we wanted to have this like living breathing post game where you get to see little wrap-ups with characters and you get little hints of where they could go in the future and you know even though it's the end of the Norse saga we leave it open for maybe there are other things with other mythologies and and whatnot so we'll see where that the future of Santa Monica goes. Now, yeah. I mean, if you pay attention to Tyr, I mean, he, you, mm-hmm. we, there's a reason why he does the six animations that he does at the end of the game. I'm sorry, say that again? <laughs> so Tyr, once you free real Tyr, yes, yeah. he is in all the realms. Yeah. Yes, so we've been, we we've were been trying tracking to, him down. We were tracking him. Yeah. Which, is he in Jotunheim? Does he pop up in Jotunheim? Um, I think that, I don't think he's in Jotunheim. Okay. He's, he's in Midgard, Alfheim goes to the spark of the world yeah uh he's at svartalheim he's svartalheim uh vanaheim at the yep. at the grotto camp right yeah so there's like six different places he is but, okay so he's in but six. he's in but he's he does very specific animations yes so we, may, may have seen that he's been traveling the world yeah so we we noticed that as well i mean it was can i ask about that like sure. just the fact that i'm gonna get in trouble here in a minute Joel. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he even comes back at all was an like a really big surprise for a lot of people who mm-hmm. played the game because that's another like post game thing that like if you don't go back to Niflheim and find that prison and then go to the bottom I mean hopefully <laughs> I'm not spoiling it's it a spoiler for, cast it We're is a spoiler spoiling. cast spoiling. Yeah. Like, um yeah what what brought about the decision to even bring him back because like we once the twist happened yeah <laughs> <laughs> straight up I mean like he's an awesome character like the. I mean, even it's funny if you go back to look at the trailer from uh, 2021, you know, he's in there and everybody's like, oh, man, this is amazing. And all this. and then we put him in the, the end of the 2022 trailer where they're clasping hands and everybody's like, this is amazing. You know, two gods, two wars. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. kind of vibes. But it's like, you know, the trick now. Yeah. Yeah. And it just like That's we, I wanted it into the marketing where people were just like, dude, all along, they just been they just totally piled it on. But we were like, no, it's real tier is he's still a thing and we want to know about him. We didn't want to just like throw him under the bus. So 
if you look in that prison in the cells, there's a lot of other dead bodies. And they're, you know, and there's a couple of characters that are mm-hmm. alive in there that you fight, right. you know, enemies and whatnot. But that's like Odin's whole thing. He was putting his thumb on the scale everywhere by impersonating other people. Yep. Um, there, there's, a, there's a super hidden one that only I know about, but I'll tell you today. When you're boating into Svartalheim for the first time, right before the siren goes off, there's a little dwarf on a bridge and he spits over the bridge. <laughs> I saw that. That's Odin. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. That's that's fantastic. And is that dwarf character model in the prison as well? Or yeah. oh my gosh, that's so see, funny. I didn't put, I didn't connect this to. That's man. It's he. he you can't, it's like not 100% because of the clothes are slightly different. Yeah, but right, yeah. right, right. It's like just little stuff like that to us is everything. The one that a lot of people, uh, I saw someone finally figured it out um, the other night was the the subtitles. Like when, when Odin is tear speaks, there's no accent on the Y in the subtitles. Oh. Wow. For the entire game. And then when you find real tear at the end, the accent's there. Hmm. Man, well, I, we should have cool. just seen that coming a mile away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. give away. That is kind of true. That's yeah. how deep the team. I mean, when we decide we're going to do something like that, like because doing a murder mystery, like that kind of thing, is like you know it, it could get really tropey. And did you see it coming? No, no, right. not at all. Yeah. Did you feel cheated? No, no, right. And so yeah. that's you know that's like that's like six cents. That's really hard to do. Thread that needle. Right. right. So when we said we were going to do that, because I remember we were in a meeting one day and we were talking about the tear prison and all that, and I was like, I said. So the writers was like, "What if, uh, what if Tears Odin?" And they were like, "What?" <clears throat> I was like, "What if he's just in disguise the whole time?" And like, that's how he gets all the information. And he knows what's going on, and that's how we do the flip flops of the prophecies. And they were just like, "Okay, stop talking. Like, we have to go." And they went away for like, I don't know, a good like five six days, and like put it through its paces. And they came back, and they were like. I think we can pull it off man and there's so many little clues like if you know the prison where you break him out if you go back in there in that room there's like raven feathers in the corner oh my gosh you know that you can see it in the broom closet like it's just even just the stuff he says like you know he says he calls freya frig mm-hmm. just like to dig the knife into her you know like it's there's when you go back it's right you can see it all, all and you're like there. oh come on like how did i see it because you know but right. when you don't know it's it's tricky so can i like I was really fascinated with Odin, like your guys' take on Odin as a character in this game sure. overall. Uh, like, I mean, you hit his appearance in the trailers, uh, even the fact that it was played by Richard Schiff. Um, and when he first comes walking in, I was really, I was really drawn to him just because he was so casual, mm-hmm. and I that's not something we typically see in any like portrayals of the All Father, right? It's like this guy who's uh very like anthony hopkins right like that's what you kind of imagine as odin like can you tell us what inspired that decision to make him kind of you know sure west wing richard Schiff? (laughs) well there was a couple things i mean we didn't know we were getting richard out at the gate so the character was very developed and then it was like once we got him we were like oh okay we made a couple adjustments and it just fit like a glove but um one of the big inspirations for me personally for this game there was a there was this exercise they had us do early on, like what the PR and marketing, and they do this canvas thing, and they asked me like, "What do, we, what are the like three biggest movies that inspired you for this game?" And I said, "Oh, okay, cool." So the f- first one was uh, a Bronx Tale. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie with Robert De Niro and Chaz Palminteri. It's like this amazing thing. He used to do like a stage play in New York before it was a movie and all this, and it's about this. You know, Robert De Niro plays a bus driver, and 
Chaz plays this gangster on the street corner, and it, Robert De Niro has this son that's caught in the middle between them. You know, he sees his dad busting his hump all the time, and he goes and does all this stuff for the gangster and gets a ton of money. He's got more money than his dad and all this, and then glitz and he gets pulled, and as you see the kid grow up, he starts to really be this split. And we, I wanted that idea that Critus is the hardworking father. He always goes and does the right thing. He's going to do it all this. And then Odin was this guy who's just like, you know, whatever you want. I got you. Like, I got all the glitz. You know, I got a Cadillac. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. So that was, like, kind of the vibe that I wanted. And I talked to him about also splitting, like, almost like a New York chess hustler, you know, where you'd sit down with this unassuming old man, mm -hmm. and then, like, all of a sudden, you've just emptied your pockets playing chess, and you don't know what happened. You know, so those things kind of came together. And then when we got Shift to come on board, it was, like, instantly it clicked for what we wanted to do. Now, not everyone likes that take. You know, that's the when you go out on a limb like that, but not yeah. everybody liked Balder either. You know, mm -hmm. they thought he was too, you know, odd uh, for what they thought he was going to be. But again, it goes to those personalities. Like that was part of it. Like Balder being a little unhinged just because he didn't feel anything. Yeah. So with the true kind of like, I guess I say that loosely true because we only know so much about these characters. You know, he was, he was this wandering guy, Odin. He wandered everywhere and he would do anything for knowledge, you know, like scoop out his eye, like stab spear inside, hang himself from a tree, you know, whatever it took. So he's not going to be the grand warrior. He get other people to do what he needed to do, and he could push, you know, with words. And so that's what we really wanted. And that's why when he first comes in, we just wanted that instant, like, you know who I am. You know, no introduction required. Yeah. And just, and just taking everything in that scene. Everybody's respectful, but he's just like pulls a stool, drinks all everything, you know, just, just whatever. He just runs stuff. And that's the vibe that we want to have. And then when we have that first little, what we call the nickel tour, when the kid shows up and he takes them all around the realms and he's just like, you know, clicking through and just doing everything. And you're just like, this is wild. Like this guy can be anywhere he wants, whenever he wants. And then that's also some of the reason why you're like, well, how could he be? Oh, that's how he can be two places at once. Cause he can just bounce in and out as he sees fit. So it's like all of it come together and it's all for that storytelling that we, we want to do. We try to leave no stone unturned when it comes to the story. And so cool. <laughs> now, in regards did you, did you to the ravens, like are on, on his, his arm, yeah, the, the tattoos, tattoos on his yeah. arm. Yeah. If was... you watch through the scenes, you'll know which one's out and which one isn't because they, they actually match 100%. Like when both birds are out, he doesn't have them. If one, he's got, oh, you know, it's oh my God. just the little details like that. I was like noticing did you the... like his hat. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was my favorite thing the team, the team hated that I was like no it'll make him even more unassuming they're like we hate this dumb hat I was like I love it they look like Jason Biggs and Loser <laughs> um, no I was looking at like just the, 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 te the texture of the tattoos as just like a slight scar tissue to it which is just like I don't know that's it's different from just like having some lines drawn on something yeah, very very come, impressive comes down to Raph uh our art director, man, you know, he's, he's sleeved up on both sides. Like, so like, you can have anybody do the tattoos, right? He knows what's up and every single character he painstakingly went through. And if there's anything that needs to be said on him or the symbols, like everything is it's not done to just be aesthetically pleasing. It's done for, I think, the I think Raph Corsetti has the best fan art on Twitter, like period. Like he's, his, he's it's obscene. Amazing. Like, Oh man, I don't, if you, if you there's a little uh, Instagram called Specky and Spana that was my wife's running it because she's putting pictures of our dogs because that was an inspiration for the names. But Raph made uh, a sculpt of Atreus like hugging the two wolves and, on a piece of birch wood and had the team sign it. And I took it home and my wife took it out of the box and she's like waterworks. She was just bawling. It's like, it's what he does. He just, but this art just makes you just emotionally crack. I, uh, I got a, I got a kitten 
during the pandemic and God of War 2018 was just so important to me. Like I named him Atreus. So like my kitten is Atreus. So like I, he, you know, runs around, he gets into stuff. I just yell boy and he responds and it's great. Uh, after Ragnarok, I'm trying to convince my partner to get a puppy so I can name him Finn so I can have them together awesome. because like that is what I or want. You get another cat and you have Loki in the trace. That's true. I the only reason why I didn't um, I haven't thought about doing that is because uh, I have a friend who our previous host yeah. Jonathan Dornbush. Rest he his dog is named Loki. So I was oh, like, okay. okay. So I was like, I can't do Loki because there's too close of a friendship or like he's too close to me to, to like sure. have the same pet name. But um, there were there were a lot of animals in this, which yeah. I was really fond yeah. of, and I, I feel like it's <laughs> kind of it, it. It's not. It was never like cutesy, but it like it definitely borders on like. It's it's more in a direction of sort of fantasy and folklore that I feel like is kind of at odds with the sort of, you know, aggro, like, epic stuff. Yeah, it uh, was one of the things that we wanted to change up because we wanted the last game to be very grounded. <clears throat> and then when we had some of those high fantasy moments, but the character, the cast was so tight, you couldn't have too many of them. As the cast expanded, we were like, oh, we should do this as well so we can see more of the world. Uh, in Vanaheim, if you look carefully, you can see the little baby Charlies. The little turtles with a tree in there. Yes, back. I saw yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't know those were meant to be like baby Charlies. That's yeah, really cool, though. Baby Charlies. I, I love that. Uh, I think in Moose Behind, there's like the little fire, uh, like armed squirrels, where yeah, yeah. there were squirrels. Yep. Um, I love the little uh, mushroom people that we had in uh, Vanaheim. Yeah, those were drinks. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like, just. It was just one of those things again. Like the art direction for the game that Raph came up with. Like it's it's the central goal is called mythical realism. Like that's what we're shooting for all the time, and that's. Com Prized of Norse mythology influences, classical fantasy, and then historical detail. They use those three as the pillars. And then so we wanted to push the classical fantasy a lot more now. Like the Norns are like our ode to the Dark Crystal. You know, like they're very inspired by that type of stuff. And, um, you know, like, who doesn't like animals? It's I, funny, though, because I've seen some people being like, if I save one more animal in this game, and I'm like, what's wrong with you as a human being? I don't understand. This, <laughs> yeah. so. Did you, uh, you mocap a yak? <laughs> if we could have we would have but we no we did not <laughs> speaking you, of go y'all is awesome though she's one of my favorite characters i know some people don't or jotunheim is a very divisive level um mm -hmm. either you're in or you're not and mm -hmm. uh, we knew that but it was very important to us for atreus like that tells that tale like we wanted it to be that you know when you first you're like when's curfew oh 10 p.m it's 10 17 <laughs> already in trouble so <laughs> 2 a.m. it is you know what i mean <laughs> just like milk it for all it's worth and we really wanted you to have that feeling and so um you know but y'all was part of that as well sorry you're gonna ask a question oh yeah like i was gonna bring up that level and like because it's the first time you do take control of atreus um and i think the first time i took control i was like okay uh i'm gonna be doing combat probably uh, i wonder what this combat's gonna feel like uh and it was like more engaging than I expected because I thought I would just be shooting arrows the whole time. And I was like, I just I don't really want to be shooting arrows the whole time. <laughs> and so uh, can you talk a little bit about like how you designed Atreus's combat? Because, you know, yeah, I think it was really surprising for a lot of players. Yeah. Um, Hayato, our uh, like companion lead, essentially, he, he was responsible for Atreus last game, like as the companion. So the logical step was like, OK, Hayato, can you make him playable? <laughs> And he goes, oh boy, here we go. So, you know, and they kept asking, they're like, give him a sword, give him a club, give him, a... I was like, dude, just have him hit him with the bow. I just want him to have the bow. They're like, nobody wants to hit anything with a bow. I was like, we'll put magic on it. It'll be great. Some people still don't like it. I get it, you know, but it's, I really, I want to give him room to grow. And if you give him all this stuff out of the gate, and then again, it's like, well, where do you go from there? It, it doesn't leave anybody 
like a good license to do stuff. So you want to kind of stay constrained, just like we stayed constrained with Kratos last time. It acts for 50% of the game, right? Yep. So it was the same idea. We said, okay, just apply the same lessons we learned with Kratos to Atreus this time for the escalation of him. But he's going to have a lot of people around him. So the idea was, even though you're playing as him, you should always feel like the companion. Hmm. Hmm. That's why, you know, he doesn't tell a lot of people what, he's not going to tell Thor what to do. It's like, Thor's not going to be on square button. Hey, Thor, break things. (laughs) Shut up. You know, he just smacks you across the level. So that's what we wanted to be. So like when he's with people his own age, they should feel like they're teen. When he's with people that are older than them, it's kind of like, you know, like when he's with Thor, you feel like you're the companion. Even You feel like you're you're Robin to Batman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because Thor's just mashing on people, right? So that whole idea there we wanted to have is like them you know come together these two kids that i haven't really seen kids before to get to hang out and be kids together so him and anger boda having that moment um i shouldn't say moment but that that level itself is, is, was very important to me because it's i think it gets lost on people nowadays like that you can't take the time to just go and be with someone and spend just do silly things that don't matter and or your brain's so far away from that as an adult that you can't remember what that was like it's funny because a lot of people are like, well, they wouldn't do that or that. Why is this character doing it? Like, dude, you remember what it's like to be 14? Because you do some dumb stuff when you're 14 <laughs> for some dumb reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I spent a lot of time just perfecting the rock throw, the rock skipping part. Oh, did you? I spent a lot of time, like, until I hit the clam and, like, the second or third rock skipping part. Did you find part. the optional one at the end? The, is it the, it's not the one right before the, is it the one where the, like, you're about to go on Yala and then the, like, in, or you're about to grab the rock and then the encounter happens? No, like back at the treehouse, there's another set of rocks. You can just go skip them to your heart's content. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Okay. <laughs> I thought there was like another one with that. Like, You're like, I need to go thing. back. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I do need to go back, but. Um... Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, but... he, he gets Ingrid at some point, too. So you do get mm-hmm. to have a little yeah. bit of square well, again, action. Even that, we try to subvert expectations where you're like, oh, he's getting a sword. But it's like, no, it's a sentient sword that fights on our own. And mm-hmm. you're like, and then you fall in love with that character. And you're, you know, it's mm-hmm. like our kind of owed to things I grew up on. It's like it's R2-D2, yeah. you know, like the magic carpet from Aladdin, all these things all in one, Dr. Strange's cape, like these are influences on us. And the sword was already known to be sentient. So we're like, Oh, like why would we have him hold it? That's like a waste of a character, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's why we went down that road, but going back to the rot skipping moment, that was the one that for a long time, people were like, dude, you gotta get rid of this. This is like, it's a, a lot of work. And I was like, no, oh, it's amazing. Like, this is like, I did this as a kid. Sorry, we're putting this in. And then some uh, one of the guys working on it did the whole thing where you, if you got it perfect, you would hit the, the clam. clam and yeah. get the little bonus. And I was like, there, perfect. You know, so. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about your personal history with God of War? Because you've been you've been here since the the ground floor. Yeah, I um, started in two thousand four on God of War one. Uh, the first thing they gave me to do was the Cerberus puppy. Um, <gasps> that was my first character that I worked on. And uh, I got it to scale and grow into the big Cerberus and then vomit up little baby ones and that whole thing. And people hate that at me for that reason. <laughs> um, but then I got uh, started working on Kratos. And by the end of that project, I was running Kratos uh, with Corey as the animator. And then um, Corey was tapped to be the director on God of War 2. And so we saddled up with him and I built Kratos on that game. And we laid down the foundation for God of War 3 early on, although kind of behind the scenes. And then Stig took over and... That game is absolutely incredible. He crushed that. Um, and I became a consultant at that time. So I was working with a lot of different studios. But Ready at Dawn, I just spun up uh, Chains of Olympus. Or actually, they were finishing it. They were about maybe eight months out. And Santa Monica asked me to go down there and look at that. And I met Rue and Dana and that crew, uh, Tony Vitale and all those amazing people down at Ready at Dawn. And we worked on that game together. It was super fun. And then when they said they were going to do a sequel, 
And Corey wrote Ghost of Sparta, and I went down and worked on that with them. And then they called me back for Ascension <laughs> to work on some monsters. And then 2018 was kind of the special moment. I remember we were at GDC, and Shannon Studstill, she was the studio head at the time, she called and said, hey, you got to come out to dinner tonight. And I said, oh, I'm busy. i got things to do. She's like, no, no, no. You owe me. you got to come out to dinner. And I said, all right, I'll meet you. And I can't remember where we went, but I walked everywhere here in San Francisco. So I was walking there, and then she was waiting out front. I saw her, and I was like, what's going on? And then this, I turned around and this cab was there and Barlog got out. And I was like, oh, I know what's going on. They're going to try to get the band back together to make a new God of War. And sure enough, that's what that conversation was that night. And everything kind of was a launching pad from there. And then, uh, yeah, at the end of 2018, well, towards the end, Corey was like, I'm tired. I don't want to do another one. I need a break. I need to see my family. He goes, will you do it? And it took him about six months to convince me, you know, because I've always been kind of behind the scenes person and not really into the limelight, this stuff like this is difficult for me to do, but um, it worked out. Nice. Game uh, is good. Can we, <laughs> can we grill you now that we got you in the limelight and we're just making you horribly uncomfortable? Yeah, can sure. we grill you for your favorite moments from each of the God of War games? From Oh, wow. You're really going to test my memory, huh? <laughs> uh, okay. God of War 1, uh, just because it's near and dear to me and it almost got cut from the game and it is one of the softer moments for Kratos is the hug uh, during the Ares boss fight when you're in the dream sequence and you mm -hmm. get the hug, the mother and daughter to give your life back to them while you fight off your evil demons uh let's see god of war 2 i'm just going to do all my selfish ones uh the entire colossus of Rhodes. that was a gnarly boss oh, battle man. to build uh i was probably one of the things i'm most proud of that, that i got to work on um mark Aline and nate stevens were the level environment artists on that and just so many amazing people to put that thing together. That was also the inspiration for the uh, Garm fight in this game. Mm -hmm. We call that bosses the level. Yeah. Um, like those are really hard to do where the entire level is a boss fight. <laughs> uh, God of War 3. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there's so many good ones in that game. I think it's the the thing they had in the trailer because we never got it to work right in God of War 2. We tried it. We called it the dog pile moment where all the skellies jump on top of you. And then Kratos does the huge moment where they all just burst out when he goes into rage. That's just a like, I mean, it's like a comic book cover shot. You yeah, know? it's absolutely incredible. Um, let's see. Ascension. There's that one's a, a wild game because it's like, do you do the multiplayer stuff? <laughs> do you do the main mm. game? Um, but the. I think the Pollux fight is really cool. Like it's got all the time stuff going on, and, and it, there, that's a, that's a great moment in that game. Uh, Chains of Olympus. I think the man. I'm trying to think this. Oh, there's a. This is just again a silly one, but there's a there's a box push in the Morpheus dream cloud that like always trips people up <laughs> that I just like watching people like stagger around in. I don't know why that's like, it's terrible because it's watching people suffer, but I really like that one for some reason. Yeah, box push? There's like, you got to push this thing and it's on fire and it moves the dream out of the way and people just get confused and it's, but, and it seems so straightforward. It's one of those things as a designer where you're like, just do what we want you to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but people won't do it and then you're always like scratching your head. It always sticks with me for that reason because I go back to it to remember like, why aren't people, you know, it's it's one of those. So again, these are, these are for really weird reasons. This is, I'm not, not answering this reason, in, a, yeah. in, a, in a good way. No, that's um, great. So yeah. Ghost of Sparta is the carrying Demos's body up the cliff mm -hmm. to the barrel. Because I'll be honest, like that was one thing I 
pitched a long time ago for a different sequence, but I was like, really wanted to get that in and, and Corey wrote it in and Dana and then really embraced that idea. And I just, I just think it's just really powerful that you, that could have been a cutscene, and you get to do it. And it's a really cool moment. 2018 is a very simple moment that a lot of people may not remember, but there's a, a bit where the kid lights this lantern and it flies up into the sky. It's such a just very poignant piece of storytelling that to me embodies that entire game. You know, it's like the kid has all this wonder and innocence about him and Kratos is watching this unfold and really doesn't know how to connect with him yet to like appreciate that and do it with him. Yeah. You know, this Kratos might light the lantern with him, but he didn't, you know, and then, uh, Ragnarok whole game. There you go. It's, it's still too fresh. Like, yeah. Yeah. Pick, you know, Good whole answer. game is awesome. Yeah. Akeem Lawanson, one of our castmates, couldn't actually be here today, but he did prepare a little bit of a, a video, and we're gonna uh, we want you to show that he actually has a question for you. But Akeem, take it away. Now, I know what y'all are thinking. I look like a hipster Kratos that's going into the woods to cut down a bunch of trees. Like, I'm gonna roast myself before y'all get a chance to do so. Anyways, I've been playing God of War Ragnarok. I got some thoughts I want to share about God of War Ragnarok with the rest of the crew and you all watching and listening at home. I've been playing God of War Ragnarok for about 11 hours now, playing side by side Thor as Atreus. Uh, watching the jiggle physics in Thor's belly, and I came to the realization that, uh, uh, just being lost in his belly, that God of War Ragnarok's take on Norse mythology is way better than most. I mean, let's take a look at what Marvel has done with characters like Thor, giving him long flowing blonde hair, a physique that could rival that of America's favorite gem rat, The Rock, and supermodel good looks. Now, that ain't the Thor from the mythical history books of Norway that I've been reading, and I read a lot of them. Now, while I've never been a huge fan or a big fan or even a small fan of mythological figures in the MCU, I do have to applaud their inclusion in the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, I'll, I'll bend the knee to that because in some instances, the MCU has managed to acknowledge a few elements from the mythological source material. Like Loki, for example, was an amazing Disney Plus series where we were introduced to different variants of Loki. Now in Norse mythology, Loki's shape-shifting abilities render him quite malleable, meaning he can take on various different forms. But God of War Ragnarok was and is far superior in its overall just presentation of everything, as we see Loki shape-shifting into different animals. And it's freaking awesome, it's awesome. Now, another cool thing about Loki in the video game, now there's a mission where you're Atreus, AKA Loki, and you have to run around finding fragments and pieces of this wooden mask that's awfully similar to the one that Stanley Ipkiss wore in the mask movie and comics. And in that particular franchise, the mask, Loki was the creator of the zany mask that imbued Jim Carrey's character with all those crazy powers. Now, whether or not the writers at Santa Monica are just big Dark Horse Comics fans and fans of the Mask movie and wanted to, you know, kind of throw that into their take on Loki's story in Ragnarok is honestly a question I'd have to ask them. I'm curious to ask them that question, but either way, you know what? It's nice to see them throw that into the mix and make it meaningful to the lore being told in the video game. Now, God of War Ragnarok and its take on Norse mythology is honestly unparalleled, unmatched, and the storytelling has been on point so far. Now, Thor and Loki in the MCU just can't touch 
God of War Ragnarok's take on those two characters. Not by a long shot, and if you, that's right, you watching and listening, don't agree with me, then I'll throw down my Leviathan axe and have you challenge my stance. Unfortunately, unlike Kratos, my Leviathan axe will never come back to me, no matter how much I put my hand out to try to grab it. It's just not gonna come back to me, but there is one thing that I can throw it back to you all in the studio. Beyond. Beyond, boy. Beyond, boy. Beyond. All right, I'll stop. Well done, Akeem. <laughs> uh, so the mask, uh, is it inspired by Jim Carrey's The Mask? I'm sure if I said yes, we'd get in legal trouble. Um, but I don't think it was 100%. I, I think I told him I wanted it to be wood because <laughs> we wanted to carve things into it. Uh, it was more about what the carvings were. Like there's carvings from different languages on the mask mm -hmm. uh, when you look at it up close. Uh, but um, if there's some kind of thing, maybe somebody snuck something in I didn't even know about. But uh, I don't think it's... It's the, it's the monomyth, you know? It's yeah. the Joseph Campbell stuff. Everything ah, yes. is drawn from some Jim Carrey movie. Yeah, just, it's, is that how it goes now? Probably yeah, been, yeah, been retconned. Yeah. Some, somebody stop you. You've hit you from the mask. <laughs> <laughs> they both have the same initials. It's just like you replace Joseph Campbell with Jim Carrey now. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. No, if you look closely, it says smoking on the top of the mask. Yeah. Smoking <laughs> hero's journey. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. This oh, has thanks, been man. a huge blast. Um, God of War Ragnarok is obviously um, worth the wait. It's an epic game. You've been hard at work, and uh, you know, huge congrats to you and the whole team for making it. And thanks for coming by and, and uh, you know, hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. It's been yeah, awesome. Of course. Uh, for those of you watching at home, you can find us all on Twitter. I'm Max Goville. Josh is Do Josh. Jada is Jade Arena. Eric, are you on Twitter, Instagram, anything you want to plug? Nope. Go buy God of War Ragnarok. It's in stores now, available on all your digital storefronts for your PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 console. There, that's something you can plug. Yeah. Anyway, um, while, you're, while we're plugging things, you can check out IGN Rewards. It is a free thing. Go sign up on IGN. You get discounts and stuff like that. There's also IGN Plus, which gives you the ad-free version and all sorts of other bells and whistles. And on that, beyond. 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 Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Oh, let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.